Midtown Boston, it's Celtics Express, where we bring you the latest in the quest for Banner 18. It's the Prince of the Parquet, the Captain of Causeway, the Governor of Green. Oh, wait, really? He quit? Okay, then. Here's your host, Jay Corwin. Welcome into Celtics Express. As always, I am your host, Jay Corwin. If you're getting hit with the first nor'easter of the season on the East Coast, come on in, dry off. It's the only place you'll find all the NBA intel you desire in under 20 minutes. We come to you with recaps and previews several mornings a week. Keep track of us on iTunes, otgbasketball.com, blog talk radio, and of course, at Celtics Express on Twitter. Today we put the finishing touches on a Celtics rally past the Thunder 101-95 in Oklahoma City. Boston moves to 3-2 and two on the young season, now 2-1 and one on the road. We'll talk to Brady Atrantham from 107.7, the franchise in OKC. That's the flagship station for Thunder basketball. Jay Christian from the Off the Glass basketball family joins us to tell us what he's hearing about Jimmy Butler to Houston. And AP and Detroit news writer and co-host of the Locked on Pistons podcast, Matt Shook, tells us what the Celtics can expect in Michigan Saturday night. So let's get right to it. Another ugly night from the floor for the Green, who entered the evening 29th in the NBA in offensive rating at 99.3. They didn't do themselves any favors in this one. Sounds a red-hot third quarter after battling back Marcus Morris following an off game as he battles that bum knee. He had a go-ahead three with just under 30 ticks left. The call from TNT. Boston in possession. Tie ball game. Morris was huge, 21 points, 10 boards off the bench. The Mook Dog, leader of that bench with attitude, also led the green with a differential of plus 16. Russell Westbrook shot just 5 of 20 from the field, finished with 13 points, 15 boards, 8 assists for the Thunder. That game ended on a 16-1 Celtics run. That's on me. Um, you know, I take full responsibility in making sure that we got to do what we need to do to win a game. And I got to do a better job of making sure we close the game, so that's on me. Paul George scores a team-high 22 points. OKC falls to 0-4 on the season. The Celtics down by 16 at the halftime, looking lifeless. Then came a 40-point third quarter, put them back in the fold behind some red-hot three-point shooting coming out of the locker room. Head coach Brad Stevens. Well, we started off the game getting really good looks, and we just couldn't make one. And then we started um, trying to come back all by ourselves again. It looked like we have the last couple weeks, and it just looked like a conscious decision by everybody to you know, make the right place, and then ball goes in. Al Horford says Kyrie got his ass in gear. Before the, the second quarter ended, you know, Kyrie looked at me and he was like, hey, we got to set the tone. You know, we have to you know, be more aggressive than now. You know, he, he was right. I he, he started in the third, and then, you know, I try to you know, do my part and just, uh, you know, just, just – Play, play with more freedom out there. Jason Tatum bouncing back from a down game, 24 points, including a pair of nasty dunks, one on Paul George's dome. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Felt good about that. Kyrie Irving says it feels like it's now time they can turn the page after this win. Great step for us. Um, I feel like we made strides last year when we were here. I think we were down 18 at halftime. Um, so, you know, it just feels good to kind of get this one out the way, and now we can move forward and just have fun playing basketball. We welcome into Celtics Express Brady Trantham covering the Oklahoma City Thunder for 107.7, the franchise, a flagship station for Thunder basketball, among other great endeavors. You can find him at Brady Does Sports on Twitter. He'll get a ton of New England follows, no doubt, just by accident. Brady boots on the ground in OKC where the panic button 
could be within arm's reach today. Brady, welcome. What's the vibe around the club after another tough loss last night? Oh, probably about the same thing that any fan base dealing with an 0-4 campaign to start off the year. You know, everybody needs to be fired. Um, insert <laughs> this player into the starting lineup. This player doesn't need to be touching the ball or seeing the floor. You know, just the typical, <laughs> just the typical uh, things that you see on Twitter and on internet forums. Yeah, sure, in Boston, we're no stranger to overreactions, that's for sure. But but since taking over the club in 2014, uh, Donovan, he hasn't missed the playoffs. They are 0-4, but it is the worst start in quote-unquote franchise history, of course, since they moved from the great Northwest. Uh, Westbrook and Paul George, another night tough shooting there as a whole. The Thunder entered the night as the worst shooting team in the NBA, under 40%. Same thing last night. Is this a long-term problem, or is, or is there uh, is there something they can fix? They're just missing shots. You know, I, I kind of asked myself this question on my pod, on my post-game podcast last night. Um, I, I'm not going to sit here and try to bury this team right now or hit the panic button, although, like you said, it is an arm's length. But I did ask the question, at what point are Thunder fans – uh, media that covers the Thunder on a day-to-day basis. At what point are we going to start t- treating this team like like what it is? They're 0-4, and they are just riddled with players that cannot shoot. And they're trying to run an offense in which they're trying to get a trying to generate a lot of deep three-point shots, a lot of just. I mean, they're, they're just trying to generate a lot of shots, and they just don't have a lot of good shooters on their team. Uh, Paul George, while for his career, you know, you look at his numbers, it'll say that, yes, he's a fairly decent three-point shooter. If you've covered him for his career, and I know you guys are a lot more familiar with him in Boston, um, having seen him uh, with the Pacers, he's an extremely streaky shooter. Mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook is not a very good three-point shooter. Uh, Alex Abrinas can be a good three-point shooter, but he doesn't get a lot of opportunities. And then after that, you're depending on guys like Terrence Ferguson, Jeremy Grant, Patrick Patterson, Hamadou Diallo. I mean, this this team just doesn't have a lot of good shooting, yet they're trying to ask their players to shoot a lot of deep shots. And, yeah, sure, if they hit their shots on any given night, they'll win. But you could say that about any any team in the NBA, <laughs> if the Kings hit their shots, they'll win. To your point, I think uh, OKC does get a bit of a pass nationally, you know, smallest market, etc. And it is time to kind of uh, push them forward. Russell Westbrook at that point in his career, and I've always been a huge fan of his game, but uh, again, to your point, it is really predicated on having some three-point help. Again, his late-game decisions uh, down the stretch, uh, is that something that crosses your mind and, and Thunder fans on a whole? Does he get a pass there? Yeah, see, yeah, I'm going to hate saying this. It's going to sound like that I'm a complete Russell Westbrook apologist. Um, I, I've done my fair share of defending him and his game. Um, but I will say, last night, unlike the first night he came back against um, on Sunday night against the Kings uh, from his injury, he actually looked a little rusty. <laughs> he didn't look comfortable, especially in that second half. And, and Boston had a lot to do with that. Those final five minutes of that fourth quarter were just some of the worst basketball that I've seen Russell Westbrook play, uh, even going back to last year, where I thought uh, he played a lot of bad basketball sprinkled here um, throughout. But um, that, that final three with 22 seconds left with the Thunder only down three after, uh, I believe, um, I can't remember who hit the three for Boston to break the tie. That's a bad shot. He was 0 for 7 in the, fi- in the fourth quarter. A lot of bad decisions. Um, I mean, yeah, for the most part, he's going to get the pass. 
and he'll probably get the pass for this game because, like I said, it's only his second game back. He didn't get a preseason, didn't get a training camp, um, probably a little rusty, a little fatigued. And, again, Boston's a really tough defense, and they certainly force the issue. But probably in this, in this, in this moment, yeah, he's going to get a pass. Overall, if things don't change, you're going to see a little bit more pressure thrown his way. Yeah, absolutely. It seems like that time could eventually come. Brady Trantham from Oklahoma City. Follow him at Brady Does Sports. Find his podcast. Good stuff there. We thank you for your time, Brady. We also thank you for Marcus Smart and sending him east. Uh, big fans over here. Uh, hopefully we'll, t- we'll talk to you again soon. Yeah, thank you, Jesse. I appreciate you having me on. Okay, we bring in Jay Christian at Jay Chris 206 esteemed attorney, political advocate, hookshot aficionado, not to mention contributor for Off the Glass, otgbasketball.com family. you got to check them out. He covers all things Western Conference for us here on Celtics Express. Jay, what's shaking, baby? Not so much, man. Tell mom I made it. Finally here, <laughs> Celtics Express. I did it, baby. Did it big. So excited coming to you from the great Northwest, Seattle. Uh, the Lakers off to an early season tough start. They're off life support now. No more fake show comments for now. Kobe Bryant shows up as uh, LeBron James pours in a triple-double on Thursday night. They top the Nuggets, who were unbeaten. Denver looking pretty good this season. Uh, but with maybe a dozen teams being in the mix uh, past the Super Bowl this year for a possible uh, playoff berth, are the Lakers a playoff team this year? I say yes. I think, uh, and it's not a coincidence in my humble opinion, that Kobe's in the building and LeBron says, you know what, let me go ahead and uh, remind you guys who I am right. uh, in, in that game last night against the Nuggets. Uh, I see the Lakers right now. I still think they're probably a five, maybe six seed. I think you put uh, Golden State and Houston on that top shelf. Uh, Denver, despite last night's game, looks great. Utah looks like giant killers to me. They are the team that I think will get a lot of momentum going in. Mm. Uh, and I think that's your top four there, and I think the Lakers find themselves tussling with the likes of uh, San Antonio. Um, who knows what, what the Clippers could be. Um, Minnesota, you know, if Jimmy Butler's still around, or if Cat gets out of his fear of Jimmy Butler, what they look like. <laughs> so I think the Lakers are looking at a 5-6 kind of rotation, uh, but not quite there in, in the elite of the elite for the West. Yeah, so basically everybody. So imagine that you uh, you lock up the three seed, and all of a sudden you uh, you stare down LeBron James as a six seed. Uh, that's a pretty rough call, but but you got it. A perfect segue, Jay. You're such a professional. We zero in on Houston, Jimmy Butler, Minnesota, the Timberwolves. Latest reports that they're making a push to bring him to Texas, uh, which would be a certainly an interesting fit. I think. I don't know if he's the type of guy that wants to play third fiddle or even come off the bench with that second unit, which could make a lot of sense given their makeup although his perimeter defense i think could be huge for them uh, what are you hearing about this the native texan went to undergrad and law school in houston so i think the trade makes sense and i grew up in an era i'm a little older on the otg staff I remember growing up in the 90s on basketball early 2000s i remember a lot of bad contracts i remember the jerome james contract right? <laughs> i remember the eddie curry contract and coincidentally these all happen to be new york mixed contact contracts but Put that to the side for a second. So I say that to say in context, I understand teams and GMs taking this approach these days in the new age of basketball of sort of keeping the powder dry, not wanting to trade assets. You know, the idea of the asset, the idea of the unknown uh, being more valuable than the actual player, right? Well, I have these picks, I have a stockpile. Uh, part of that is, is driven, I think, by coincidentally your Boston Celtics completely doing the great train robbery on the Brooklyn Nets. And a lot of teams trying to emulate that package, which was just, you know, quite frankly, the perfect storm. But I give all that context to say this. 
these moments to win are finite. In the era of the Golden State Warriors, they are super finite, right? Houston got, you know, arguably a Chris Paul hamstring away from going to the NBA Finals for the first time since 1995. To put that in context, my alma mater, Rice University, there are kids that graduated this spring that were born after the Rockets last won a championship. Boom. That's at least 22 years, right? So this idea of, well, next summer, the unknown, we got to keep these picks. I would argue any pick that the Rockets get in the next, you know, let's just call it out, four or five drafts will not produce a player as good as Jimmy Butler. I w- I'm willing to bet that. So I say if you have an opportunity to seize a player of Jimmy Butler's caliber, you go for it. You don't think twice about it, you go for the win. I saw a report this morning, uh, getting ready for the show, that Cavs tickets are going for two bucks right before the Brooklyn Mets game. <laughs> they were just packed uh, to the rafters this time last year. So my point is, these opportunities are finite. If you get generational talent, go for it. You have to, you have to pull the trigger on it. And I think having Jimmy Butler play with James Harden in his prime and while Chris Paul is still a very effective, very good point guard, you have to do it. Now, having said that, to your point, Jimmy's not going anywhere to play third fiddle. I'm not sure that he's looking at second fiddle. Uh, but I, I think it reminds me of uh, the, the Jason Kidd trade to Dallas, I think, in 2010, 2011. That was after the super team happened in Miami. Boston was still kind of going, and everyone's looking for a super team. And, and Cuban pulled the trigger on Jason Kidd at the All-Star break, I believe. And I remember thinking, wow, it's just a move just to get another star next to Dirk. I don't know if those pieces fit. Jason Kidd, that's odd. And ended up winning the championship, right? So uh, I'm excited for it. I am very much mortgage to the future. You can't take it all with you kind of thing, right? That's why I'm leaving my mm-hmm. kids with all this debt when I die. <laughs> uh, so, so the Rockets should implore the Jay Christian family estate method when it comes to Jimmy Butler. If you can pull the trigger, I know four firsts sound like a lot, but again, the Rockets will be competitive over the next three, four, five years. So those picks are not going to be super great anyway. They're not going to be lottery picks, I don't imagine. So if you have a chance with a team with this window, um, i say you got to jump through it and, and see what happens. Yeah, one in the hand, two in the bush comes to mind, Jay. Jay, not only teaching us about Western Conference basketball, but life in general. Those moments are fleeting. Enjoy them and do what you got to do. Grab the moment. Build some memories. Jay, we appreciate your time. Give him a follow at jchris206. We'll talk to you soon, Jay. All right. Sounds good, brother. It's time to stop living in the past or even the present. The future is where it's at. The undefeated Detroit Pistons get set to take on the Celtics. It's a back-to-back home and home set Saturday in the D, then Tuesday night in Boston. We welcome in the Matt Shook, co-host of the world-famous Locked on Pistons podcast. How's the feeling there, Matt, with the team now 4-0 after last night's win over the Cavaliers? Well, thanks for having me on, first of all, Jesse. But uh, it's, I guess it's cautiously optimistic because on one hand, like you said, 4-0. On the other hand, uh, they've beaten three pretty bad teams, mm-hmm. and uh, three of these games were at home. So the one win against Philadelphia is the, the one that stands out, obviously, the overtime win. And uh, they squeaked out three of the four as well. So, you know, 4-0, but still a little bit of show-me coming from the crowd who's been notoriously tough after a tough decade sure. uh, here in Detroit. As, uh, as you know, it's going to take a little bit more than a, a pretty good start, a very good start, obviously, to get things going. But there's a lot of positives to be taken from these first four games, especially uh, the number one being uh, Blake Griffin, who mm. never really went anywhere, but he's back in terms of the uh, the national NBA focus right now. The way he and Andre Drummond are able to uh, coexist has been really fascinating. The guard play also picking it up, and Reggie Jackson, who's been much maligned through his career, uh, starting pretty good this season as well. Yeah, Reggie Jackson's playing really well. Ish Smith off the bench has been outstanding yeah, for the yeah. Pistons, too. 
good start for both of those guys, like you mentioned, Blake Griffin and, and Andre Drummond got it going last night as well. A lot of dunks, a lot of finishing the alley oops. His second straight or second of four games where he had over twenty points and twenty rebounds in the game. So yeah, from from the the bigs and uh, the point guards, it's gone really well for the Pistons so far. Yeah, and for a guy like Blake Griffin, it's huge for him not to have to bear the entire brunt of getting all those uh, rebounds. He's able to kind of clean up on the weak side. I think that's huge for them. So that points us towards Saturday night, a couple teams that always have pretty good battles historically and even in the recent past, the Celtics and Pistons, Saturday evening in the front end of that back-to-back at Little Caesars Arena. What do you think the key to this matchup is? We talked about the point guards and the bigs, but I think the key is going to be the, the wings. And that's where Boston obviously mm. has the definite advantage in this game coming in. So it's going to be uh, on guys like Stanley Johnson and Reggie Bullock and Glenn Robinson the third to have a big game. The Pistons got some really bad news on Thursday night as Luke Kennard got hurt, and he's going to be out for at least a little while. Yeah. He's having an MRI today, so it's at least a shoulder sprain. So uh, that's going to hurt the Pistons' depth at a position where they didn't. That's that's their worst position in terms of depth wise and and uh, talent. So Stanley Johnson hasn't been able to put together anything offensively really um, consistently throughout his whole career, but certainly not this year. Reggie Bullock's been solid. He's one of the more underrated players in the Eastern Conference. And then, um, like I mentioned, Glenn Robinson the third, who's got a DNP on Tuesday, despite the overtime game against Philadelphia. He'll definitely be needed quite a bit on the wing there and then maybe uh, some surprise guys um at the end of the the depth chart might have to step up and play pretty well because we know how good boston is at those positions and uh, we will see if detroit has nearly enough to stop some of those guys yeah it's going to be fun i agree with you on bullock i think he is highly undervalued he's having a very start uh strong start to the season it was very good against cleveland in that win thursday night as well he is matt ashook from locked on pistons you can follow him at matt underscore S-C-H-O-C-H underscore Matt. We appreciate your time. Enjoy the games. We will catch up with you very soon. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate the time. Fantastic stuff. So with that, we wrap another episode of Celtics Express. Thanks for checking us out. We thank our producer, Teddy Tuhat, our guests, Brady Trantham, Jay Christian, and Matt Shook, our legions of fans. Of course, where would we be without Dr. James Naismith? Find us on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, OTGBasketball.com, and on Twitter at Celtics Express. Until next time, I'm your host, Jay Corwin. We'll see you at the Garden.